DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults is an adaptation of the Catholic Catechism. It serves as a resource for those who wish to become acquainted with Catholicism. It is an invitation for all the faithful to continue growing in the understanding of Jesus Christ and his saving love for all people. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Chapter 6 Man and Woman in the Beginning The Creation of Man and Woman The Fall and the Promise The House of Mercy On the night before she died in 1926, Rose Hawthorne Lathrop, now known as Mother Alfonsa, wrote a letter to the editor of the New York Times about her work with penniless patients with terminal cancer. Many people know nothing of our work with the cancerous poor. And if accosted by a person, asking for a donation would give a sum out of politeness, mentally asking, what unheard of thing is this? We are practical enough to want everyone to know what it is and to give a bit because their hearts are touched to help us build this house of mercy. This angel of mercy, foundress of the servants of relief for incurable cancer, was born in 1851. The youngest of three children of a famous novelist, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and his wife, Sophia Peabody. At age 20, Rose married the 19-year-old George Lathrop in London in 1871. The young couple moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where George worked as an assistant editor of the Atlantic Monthly. During these years, Rose wrote poetry and short stories for magazines such as Harper's Bazaar and Scribner's. Their only child, Francis, died at age four. The Paulist Father Alfred Young received the Lathrops into the Catholic Church in 1891. George Lathrop died in 1898. The story of a poor seamstress who died of cancer on Blackwell's Island occasioned the spiritual turning point for Rose. A fire was then lighted in my heart where it still burns. I set my whole being to bring consolation to the cancerous poor. In Rose's time, cancer patients were marginalized by society, much as patients with AIDS acquired immune deficiency syndrome. They have been, in our modern times, marginalized. Yet, Rose recognized that they were more than helpless poor people. They were made in the image of God. Rose devoted the next 33 years of her life to caring for victims of incurable cancer. She proved to be an able administrator and fundraiser, establishing a number of hospices for cancer victims in the New York area. Rose and her friend Alice Huber were living a semi-monastic existence in the city when Dominican Father Clement Thorenti received them as Third Order members. Then, as Senior M. Alfonso and Senior M. Rose, they established the Dominican Congregation of St. Rose of Lima, incorporated as the Servants of Relief for Incurable Cancer. They established a cancer hospice in Hawthorne, New York. 
funds were sought by the then Mother Alfonso through her appeals of the magazine's Christborg. Other similar facilities were established around the country. Mother Alfonso composed essays that appeared in every issue of Christborg. She believed it was possible for every parish to have two houses for the relief of the sick poor. She answered God's call with faith, energy, and imagination. Her spirit burned brightly to this day through her community and through the poor who still need such help. This chapter focuses on two fundamental aspects of human nature as seen from the viewpoint of faith. We are made in the image of God and yet bear the impact of original sin. These truths account for the inner conflicts we experience. Made in the image of God, we find ourselves drawn toward Him. As burdened by the effects of original sin, we experience the tendency that takes us away from God. We chose the story of Rose Hawthorne Lathrop in this context primarily because she saw the image of God in the cancerous poor of her day. She also shows us how we, urged on by God, and overcome the self-centeredness caused by original sin. Created in God's image, God willed the diversity of his creatures and their own particular goodness, their interdependence, and their order. He designed all material creatures for the good of the human race. Man, and through him all creation, is destined for the glory of God. Catechism number 353. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. Chapter 6, Man and Woman in the Beginning. Subtitled from the Catechism, The Creation of Man and Woman, The Fall, and The Promise. Well, we're created in God's image, yes? We certainly are. We talked in the previous chapter about creation in general, we might say. But the high point of creation is God's creation of, of man and woman in his own image. And we recognize from what's revealed in Scripture that in all of creation, man and woman are different in kind from everything else that God has created. And we do bear the imprint of God, our Creator, in a way that is not seen in any other creatures. It is difficult for young mothers and fathers, I would imagine, to look at their child and think, oh, how could they have original sin? They're so wonderful. And indeed they are. But the reality of original sin is a, a, a true tenet of our faith, isn't it? It is, and we'll talk more about it in a minute. As we look at a child and think, how did that child have, could have original sin? We have inherited human nature from our first parents, from Adam and Eve, and so we've inherited the qualities that make us human. But we've also now inherited the way those qualities have been damaged, the effect of original sin. How did the fall? take place? How do we really understand how that took place? The gift of free will that God has provided for human beings, it's part of how we reflect the image of God, I think. The ability to choose, which makes it possible for us to love ourselves mm -hmm. uh, in a good way, to, to love others and ultimately to love God, made it possible for Adam and Eve to be tempted, to love in um, a selfish way, in a proud way. And so the description of original sin in the scripture is so instructive because it set a pattern, not just that we inherit 
but a pattern really that's reflected in every sin, you might say, where the temptation is for any of us to say at a particular moment, well, you know, God's got a lot of great ideas, and most of them I agree with. But in this particular case, or in my case at this moment, Mm -hmm. it really doesn't apply that we're just going to move the boundaries for a moment to say for a moment, I'm not going to have God be God in this situation. I'll, I'll just take over myself for right now and decide something that's good for me that is opposed to what God reveals as good. That's the nature of sin, that choice of myself and my authority over myself or over something else in the created world, rather than the acknowledgement of the absolute authority of God. Mm-hmm. That choice to do harm that choice to do evil, to say that it doesn't exist would be a denial of even the history that we've experienced in the last hundred years, if not all of human history. The fact that evil exists and our response to it, instead of choosing the goodness, that is part of the effect of original sin, isn't it? It is, and it's the tricky thing about temptation. You know, the devil often tempts us, most often tempts us, to see as good, something that isn't good. And mm-hmm. so there's some kind of immediate gratification or, or some kind of an, a, an immediate relief from something that we're looking for. So hardly anybody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to really be evil today. I'm going to choose evil every chance I get. Mm-hmm. But we do give in to the temptation to, to choose ourselves, to, to choose comfort, to choose gratification, again, in, in ways that are opposed to the plan of God. One of the characteristics of our culture is to maybe explain sin away. Mm-hmm. to have us think that there really isn't any such thing, first of all, as God, or that God doesn't really have a plan, or that God's plan doesn't bind us, that it has no authority over us. But then also to, to just maybe psychologize our choices and to think, well, you know, that's just sort of the way I'm made. Or Pope Benedict talks about the challenge of relativism in our culture that allows us to tell ourselves, even though it's not true, that I can decide for myself what's good or right or true, and if it's true for me, if I think it's true or I want it to be true, then it is, it, it, it's fine. Again, this very individualistic approach to myself and to, to life in this world that doesn't acknowledge God or necessarily the dignity of the people around me. We talked about this in a previous segment that there can be a ripple effect because of this. And that once the waves, there's so many ripples of evil that can cause and affects others, the choices that we make, it brings disorder to that calm. The opposite occurs when choices are made for the good. That's the opportunity to do the good. That's true freedom. We see that, don't we? That's the effects in that individualistic, relativistic decision. Well, and we see it right from the original sin of Adam and Eve, that the, the, the evil begins to, to multiply because the original harmony is God's design for the created world has been disrupted. And it's been disrupted by those who had stewardship over creation. And so their sin is more than a mistake, more than a misstep. It was a, a deliberate choice to bring evil into this ordered world. And so it does have that ripple effect. So the whole world is out of order in some way. We experience it, not totally, but it is broken or or distorted in some important ways. And that then redounds through human history from one generation to the next. We inherit it in our very persons in the imprint of original sin, the effect of original sin, but we do also 
see it in the created world around us. There's a great line that comes from the Easter Vigil that every time it's said or sung in during that, that great moment where it, it always stops me and I have to smile, it's the happy fault of Adam, that the happy fault that what he chose led to something quite wonderful for all of us. So even in that divine providence that you've been teaching us about, that there is something good that is going to that God will do with that given our response because God is so loving our sin has not turned God away from us we've turned from God as we sin uh, but God doesn't turn away from us so you know God's commitment to love us as uh, created in his own image and likeness remains and so we we see that now as we look back and understand the history of salvation as we live in this time after the coming of Jesus Christ and after the, the events of, of his death and resurrection and ascension, we see that in God's providence and through mm-hmm. the power of the sacrifice of Christ, this is all being put back together. And, and it's possible that harmony can be restored. And again, we see it in real ways in our, in our own lives, in some beautiful ways in our communities here where we have reconciliation and, and healing. But then we hope to experience it fully when Jesus comes again and restores order, when he brings this final justice where everything is as it should be, according to God's design, which, of course, is a loving design. Whatever God is willing and and designing is always for the good. In that moment at the Easter Vigil that is occurring later in the liturgy would be the baptism, the bringing into the body of Christ, into the relationship of the Trinity, that life-giving gift of Jesus Christ himself in the person who's accepting faith, who's accepting that. That's a, the the moment when original sin is conquered, is it not? Yes and no. <laughs> okay. It's um, We are, original sin is removed, taken away, we say in, at the moment of, of baptism, which is a beautiful reminder to us that sin does not have the last word. And that God, we might say, is not satisfied with the brokenness of the world or how that might be experienced in an individual person. But the effects of original sin remain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we do experience them in, in very real ways. Again, we see it in the created world around us, but we experience it in ourselves because our intellects have been darkened, we might say, dimmed by the, by the effects of original sin so that we don't always see things clearly. And so that even God's revealed truth sometimes isn't so clear to us as it might have been otherwise. The original sin also has an effect on the will. So our wills are, are weakened. And some of the desires that we experience that stir up in us things that we might want, or want to possess, want to do, those desires can be disordered, bent, we might say, by the effects of original sin. Original sin itself, which would bar us from paradise, which would keep us from having life with God, that's removed by baptism through the power of the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the effects of original sin remain, and we all know them. And it's uh, St. Paul experienced it and expressed it so beautifully in this passage that we always remember because it sounds so much like us, that uh, the the good that we want to do, we don't do, and then the evil that we don't want to do, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we step back from ourselves, we can understand 
what our better self is supposed to look like, how the person we're being called to be, the person we're created to be. And then, uh, then we step back in and because our wills are weak or because our minds are confused, we just we do exactly the wrong thing. A meditation found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. Although set by God in a state of rectitude, man, enticed by the evil one, abused his freedom at the very start of history. He lifted himself up against God and sought to attain his goal apart from him. Although they had known God, they did not glorify him as God, but their senseless minds were darkened and they served the creature rather than the Creator. What Revelations makes known to us is confirmed by our own experience. For when man looks into his own heart, he finds that he is drawn toward what is wrong and sunk in many evils which cannot come from his good Creator. Often refusing to acknowledge God as his beginning, man has also upset the relationship which should link him to his last end. And at the same time, he has broken the right order that should reign within himself as well as between himself and other men and all creatures. Man, therefore, is divided in himself. As a result, the whole life of men, both individual and social, shows itself to be a struggle and a dramatic one between good and evil, between light and darkness. Man finds that he is unable of himself to overcome the assaults of evil successfully so that everyone feels as though he is bound by chains. But the Lord himself came to free and strengthen man, renewing him inwardly and casting out that prince of this world who held him in the bondage of sin. For sin brought man to a lower state, forcing him away from the completeness that is his to attain. But the high calling and the deep misery which men experience find their final explanation in the light of this revelation. St. Paul, he's so wonderful because it, here's a person who had the, the strongest or most monumental experience of conversion that has transcended the last 2,000 years. We can always speak of that. That moment would occur, and yet 20 years later, he's still working out his salvation in fear and trembling. He's racing the race. He's trying to get through. It's more than just accepting and saying yes to Jesus. It is more than just that. It's it, it, we're being called in this this battle. It's a battle, isn't it? In some ways, it's a battle. It's a lifelong cure, we might say. God's grace working on us, our responding to come to the point where finally 
we believe in, for many of us in purgatory, we have God's last grace to be healed and made whole so that we're finally ready for, for paradise, finally ready for what God always wanted for us from the very beginning. But the, the example of St. Paul is instructive. You know, we talked in previous chapters about the importance of understanding faith as, as a journey and that even the greatest saints, from as St. Paul's a great example, from the moment of having that, that powerful encounter with the risen Christ and the whole direction of his life was changed. But the life had a long way to go mm-hmm. uh, in this world and many challenges and his faith continued to, to mature. There continued to uh, be trials and again, if we can believe him, you know, some stumbles and yet God's grace was always available. God had a plan for him. He wanted to be part of that plan, wanted to cooperate in it, but, but he continued to grow. He wasn't St. Paul uh, the, the day that he met the Lord or five years later. He is now. And, uh, mm-hmm. That journey of faith is, is finished for him. But he, as, as all saints do, as all of us do, uh, struggled with the effects of original sin his whole life long. Mm. Again, that reality of sin. We've talked about the reality of evil. And, and those choices that we can make that break off the relationship with God, that gift of faith that he reveals to himself to us, and we respond to that. Some of the things he may reveal to us because of that will you just spoke of, of the, of the damage that was done with original sin, makes it difficult for us to respond to the good in some instances. It, it can be very, very challenging, can it? Especially in today's culture. It can be challenging. Again, the Lord promised us it would be challenging, so it it's not, shouldn't surprise us. It surprises us all the time, though, I think, how, how challenging it is. But in our basic understanding and discussion of faith earlier, we, we were um, mentioning how God's grace is always uh, available to us. And the experience of the saints has often been that as we grow in faith, we become more aware of our faults. And we become aware, of perhaps, of things we've misunderstood or, or didn't understand enough, or just uh, become more aware of our own willfulness. And that can be a, a painful revelation about ourselves. But, but really, we see it as a moment of, of grace, because as we see the truth about ourselves, and, and particularly the truth about our need for forgiveness or for healing, it's the opportunity to accept then from God the gift that only God can, can give us. Mm -hmm. of healing and, and reconciliation. A prayer found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. For someone who has been given that, that grace, that, that gift of faith, that experience of it, how wonderful it is that we also experience his mercy. Because we, we have said at least one point in our life, we know him, we love him, we want to serve him, and then we choose something else. His mercy is always there, just waiting, isn't it? Well, back to that notion of the happy fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's once we've stumbled or deliberately chosen something that's evil and have the understanding that we were wrong, 
that we have sinned. It's, an, it's a moment then to experience the mercy of God, which is a, a very tender moment. It, it's a very personal experience of, of God's love for us in very concrete circumstances. Mm-hmm. It, and it can really strengthen our faith to have that experience of forgiveness, keeping us from this vague notion of God at a distance or an uncaring God. It's uh, fun to think that God loves me when I'm a nice guy and when I'm doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. but to think how much God loves me when I've been evil, and especially when I have uh, sort of thrown back the good things that God has given me in his face or hurt other uh, of his sons and daughters uh, Mm -hmm. whom he loves, that that he would love me and want to offer me healing in in that circumstance is just uh, such a powerful experience in faith. And for us to be open to that really is the opportunity to grow in faith. That's why if we deny the evil, the, the reality of sin, deny how evil it is, if we sort of deny it in general in the world, but particularly deny that it, that's, it's it, at all a reality for us, we're missing out on that beautiful opportunity to, to receive mercy and, and then to come from the place where we are, which may not be a very good place, to a better place on this pilgrimage of faith. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. To learn more about the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, go to usccb.org, the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas.